One more time, give the Lord a clap of praise this morning. Amen. We are in a summer series, Summer in the Psalms, our summer playlist. How many of you have been enjoying reading the book of Psalms? You know, last week for Father's Day, we had a gift that we gave to all the fathers, and it was on the book of Psalms. Now, when I saw that, I was just so surprised, and I had to just ask my wife, did, did I have you order that recently? Because uh, I, I wasn't sure, because I said, well, it would have been nice, you know, we're, we're just reinforcing what we're going to be preaching on, but she said, no, we ordered that a year ago. So I just love the way the Lord does things to just affirm and confirm uh, what he's trying to speak to us. So I want to encourage you. Um, I don't know where you're at in your devotional life, your time with God. I believe every believer, every Christian should have time with Jesus every day. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So that means every day we're praying for daily provisions. We might not be like the people of God in the Bible that needed to pray for their bread, physical bread, but we need spiritual bread. We need emotional bread. We need spiritual sustenance every day, daily basis, we reach out to God in prayer. So I want to encourage you, as we're reading the Psalms, men Take time in those devotionals that will get you into a psalm, will reinforce, say amen. amen. The psalms were written over a period of about a thousand years, from 15th century B.C., the time of Moses, all the way through to the time of Ezra, around 400 or so B.C. So over a thousand year period, we see the, the people of God having a chorus book, having a playlist, having a song book that they used to communicate to God their deepest emotions and their deepest needs. So we have a wonderful resource to help us in our prayer life and our time of worship and praise before the Lord. Amen? The book of Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. They are not chapters, they are individual Psalms, and they are broken up into five books. If you have in your Bible, you might notice uh, just a breakdown that might show you of Psalm 71 ends and says this is the end of the prayers of David, the man of God. So we have five different books um, that make up one prayer book, one chorus book, if you will. The breakdown, uh, you could find they go from 1 uh, to 41, 42 to 72, 73 to 89, and then 90 to uh, uh, 106, and then 107 to 150. The book of Psalms begins with blessed, and it ends with hallelujah. Praise our prayers, our poems put to music. Most of the Bible, most of the Bible is God speaking to us. But in the book of Psalms, it is man speaking to God. It is man praying. It is, it is man expressing his heart to God. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 73. If you have a notation in your Bible, you will see it will say the sons of Asaph, a Psalm of Asaph. The sons of Asaph were the worship team during King David's time. So musicians, 
Worship teams, you are the children of the sons of Asaph. You are in the, uh, the lineage of the children of Asaph or the sons of Asaph. Again, they were the worship leaders. They were the psalmist along with David. They were responsive, responsible for corporate worship when the people of God got together. And so this morning, uh, I want to look at Psalm 73, a powerful powerful psalm. We know as the people of God, we are called to walk by faith and not by For those of us who are believers and who are following Jesus, we are living our life by faith. But there is an ongoing tension in our lives. There is this ongoing tension because we live in a world that is visible and is external. But on the other hand, we are well aware of an invisible world that is eternal. But we have this struggle because we live in this world. But we're well aware that there is another kingdom. There is another world that is eternal that is around us. So there is this struggle that we all have to face. And Psalm 73 really speaks to that struggle. It really speaks to um, that, that conflict that we all have, that conflict of faith. Psalm 73 is one of about 12 that were written by Asaph. Again, he was a writer and composer of music during the time of King David. Now, Psalm 73 was written out of the depths of his experience. It was written out of where, where, where the rubber meets the road in life, if you will. Written where, uh, right where he was at, struggling, you know, in, in, in his life. And, and he, was, he was not out of touch with reality, but he was very much in the thick of it. He was very much grappling and wrestling with the issues of life. So let's look at the first verse. I want to call this the confession of of faith. The confession of faith. Verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel and to such as are pure in heart. This was testimony time. This was the testimony part of the psalm. He is declaring truly God is good. That was the bedrock of his faith. That was the foundation of his faith. He knew and he understood the goodness of God. How many of you this morning, you know and you understand and you have actually experienced the goodness of God? Hallelujah. He declares it. He starts off the psalm, truly, verily, the Lord is good. Hallelujah. He testifies, he knows it, because he has experienced it. It was a firm conviction. Where did he get it from? We know that Asaph was a contemporary of King David. I'm sure that he was influenced by his life. You know, we are all influenced by the people that we hang around with. You know... Parents, you, you, you've said this, I'm sure, to your children, or, or you've tried to teach them lessons. You say, show me your friends, and I'll show you who you are. 
Why? Because it rubs off on us. Why? Because the people we're around influence us. Before long, we begin to talk like them, we begin to act like them, we begin to dress like them. We're influenced by them. Asaph was influenced by King David. He was influenced by the man who had a heart after God, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he was influenced, and, and I'm sure he received that revelation, being in close proximity to David. He came to that understanding, truly, truly, God is good. Maybe it was through his parents. Maybe Asaph, I'm sure, had godly parents that that spoke that into his life, that role model, that lesson, and that impacted him. We don't know for sure, but we do know that he came to a place of declaring, truly, God is good. This was his testimony. This is how the psalm starts off. Truly, God is good to Israel, and such are pure in heart. Now, if we look at the next verse, but as for me, but as for me, my feet almost slipped, almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Isn't that amazing? From verse 1 to verse 2. In one breath, he's saying, truly, God is good to Israel and to such as are pure in heart. The next verse, he says, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My feet almost slipped. I almost got off track. So the question is, what happened? Well, let me first say this. How quick can things change in our life? How quick, how suddenly you could be at the altar experiencing the goodness of God and you get in your car and all hell can break loose in that car. Hello? Kids are, are yelling and screaming. Your wife starts and, and the husband, oh, you never, you never support me. These kids never quiet down. This is crazy. I can't believe it. And just a few minutes later, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. It happens quickly. You know, we, we get that testimony. I love God. Wow, God is so good. His word is so alive. You know, we have that encounter with God where the scriptures jump out at us and God speak to, speaks to us. We get touched by God and we have that testimony time and we say, truly God is good. There's no turning back. I love the Lord. I'm committed to God. I'm on fire. I'm excited. I'm going forward with the Lord. How many of you know with every testimony, there will be a test? Matter of fact, the word test is in test emoni. And anytime I see somebody give a test, I just want to tell them, amen, amen. But there's going to be a test to that testimony. Anytime somebody makes a bold declaration of how much they love the church and how much they love me as their pastor... Oh, my goodness, there's going to be a test. We'll see how you feel in six months, in a year, two years. But there will be a test of, to our testimony when we declare certain things and we stand up and we, it's truly, see, see, Asaph wasn't 
being uh, two-faced or he, he wasn't uh, uh, just into duplicity. It, it, was, it was his experience. He stands up and says, truly, truly, God is good. But something happened. This leads to the conflict of faith. We have the confession of faith. Now, faith, now we have the conflict of faith. From the heights of ecstasy, he's down to the depths of despair. The question is, what happened? Let me tell you, it'll happen in your life. Hallelujah, you can be worshiping and praising God. You can have your playlist on, all the new worship choruses, all the new worship song, but there will be a test to what you just worshiped about or what you just sung. I was just listening this morning on my playlist of, of this song. It's a newest song, and they were just talking, I give it all to you, Jesus. I surrender it all. And I'm saying to myself, do you know what you're singing? I'm not trying to be critical. I just know, I just know what it means to say I surrender it all. I lay it all down. What is that? Do you know what that means? I don't, Lord, you can do whatever you want in my life. Are you kidding me? People singing that, they come to church twice a month. People singing that, they won't even tie the 100% of the 10%. They won't be involved in a minute, but they want to, we want to sing. But let me just say, you've you got to understand that sometimes your theology will come into conflict with your experience. You'll say one thing, you'll believe one thing, it'll be biblical, it'll be true, but then to live it out is totally different. And for Asaph, he said, for me, my feet almost slipped. So what happened? Look, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us right there, verse 3. It says, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's the conf conflict of faith. He saw the prosperity of the wicked, and this is the issue philosophically that mankind has grappled with throughout history. Some of the greatest philosophers have tried to wrestle with this, this, this thought here. Why do godly people suffer, good people suffer, and why do uh, ungodly people prosper? Why does it seem like it's all upside down in this world? This, this was the issue. See, he saw corruption in politics. He saw corruption in religion. He saw corruption in the marketplace. He saw the wicked oppressing the godly. He says, God is good on one hand. He said, but what about this? How does this jive? How does this work out? How, does this, how can I reconcile this? I, you know what I think is important that we, we emphasize and, and maybe highlight in our Bible, verse 3? When I saw, when I saw, he saw something that messed him up. He saw something that caused this conflict of faith. He saw something. He saw the prosperity of the wicked. For you this morning, you might see something. It could be anything. It's different for everyone. But you see something that jams you up. You see something that messes you up. You see something that, that it's hard to reconcile with your, your theology and what you profess and what you confess. And now what you have to work out in everyday life. He saw something. How many of you know that, that the smallest thing, the smallest thing can block out 
the greatest thing. This quarter is so small. But if I hold it up in front of the sun, the sun blazing in all of its brilliance and all of its glory, if I hold it up in front of the sun, I can block out the sun with a quarter. And isn't that true? In our lives, things come in, they become stumbling blocks, they become hindrances to our faith, they become things that just don't measure up, they don't weigh out, and, and, and for Asaph, he's testifying one hand, God is good, praise the Lord, hallelujah, but as for me, my feet almost stumble, I almost slip because I saw something that didn't seem to make sense. It's strange how sometimes something could really get a hold of you. You're doing good one day. You're doing good one moment. And then some past failure. Some past sin. Something you did foolish 30 years ago can grab a hold of you. Maybe it's a problem with a person. Maybe it's family stuff. Maybe it's a missed opportunity. Maybe a bitterness grabs a hold of you. One commentator said, bitterness often hinders the mind from thinking clearly and tempts us, tempts us to make sweeping generalizations that are not completely accurate. Let me say that again because it ties into what Asaph would say afterwards. Bitterness often hinders the mind from thinking clearly and tempts us to make sweeping generalizations that are not completely accurate. And that's what happened with Asaph. Look at it. Look at the Bible says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he begins to make some sweeping generalizations. He said, there are no pains in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not trouble, in trouble like any men. They're not plagued like other men. They bulge with abundance. They, they, they speak loftily. And what is he doing? He's making sweeping generalizations. When you get in a, a, a place of allowing bitterness or allowing discouragement or allowing what you see to affect your spirit, you begin to make general, sweeping generalizations. What do I mean by that? We get to the point where we say, no one cares for me. No one calls me. No one? Not even scams? <laughs> Scam likely? No one would ever miss me if I'm gone. No one knows what I'm going through. No one has it as bad as I do. Sweeping generalizations. That's what Asaph was doing. He, he started to speak things. He started to say things that weren't completely accurate. We see that in the Bible. We see that with Elijah. He has this great mountaintop experience. I've been to Mount Carmel. I have been to the place and I envision that great miracle, one of the most powerful demonstrations of the power of Almighty God when Elijah calls down fire from heaven and, and it consumes the sacrifice. And God demonstrates himself as the God who answers by fire, and Elijah was the one who prayed down the fire of God. And then one moment or, or just a brief time afterwards, now he's running from that wicked queen Jezebel who puts out a, a, a bounty on his life, puts out a contract on him, and he's running for his life, and he goes into the desert, and you know what he says to God? I'm the only one that loves you. 
Come on, I'm talking. Isn't that what it says in the Bible? Is that what Elijah, that's the point he got to. Why? Because he had seen something, he experienced something, and he got so low that he began to make these sweeping generalizations. There's no one else who serves you. My life doesn't matter. Take my life. I, I'm no good. It's better that I be gone. And what does God say to him? God says, calm down. Chill. Not, that's in the new translation. God says to him, I have reserved 7,000 prophets who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one, Elijah. I've got 7,000 others. And God had a plan for Elijah. God had a ministry. God had a, a successor. God had, God had it, everything Elijah needed, and he missed. He was missing it. I want to ask you, have you been there? If you've walked with God any length of time, You've been there. No one ever helps me. No one ever is there for me. You see, for Asaph, he went from that confession of faith to a conflict of faith, but then he went even further to a complaint. A complaint of faith. My third point. Look at verse 13. Let's go down. Look what he says here. This is important. I want you to get this. I want you to elbow that person next to you. Say, get off of your phone. Wake up. Pay attention. Just because you're looking at me doesn't mean you're paying attention, you know. Don't, don't think you're slick. Oh, I'm looking at the pastor, and I know you're thinking of other things. I know the lights are on, but nobody's home. Look what it says. Look what it says. Verse 13, after he had the confession of faith, then he had this conflict. Now he gets to this place and he says, you know what? Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I chasten. I'm chastened every morning. What is he saying? You know what, you know what Asaph is saying? It's not worth it. The sacrifices I've made to walk with God, the consecrations I've made, the deaths I died, the, the, the giving, I've, all that I've done, it's not worth it. it it's, it's been in vain. I followed you, God. But where's the blessing? Where's the reward? Where's the thanks? Let me tell you, if you serve God, if you want to follow God with all your heart, as you should, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you will get to a place of wondering, is it worth it? Oh, don't look at me so holy and so spiritual. You'll get to a place and you'll say, but God, I've, I've, I've begun to tithe. I'm being faithful with the tithe, but I'm still struggling financially. And I know that church person ain't tithing, and they seem to be blessed. Oh, my goodness. Don't look around. Don't look around. God, I've been keeping myself pure, waiting for the right one, and still I'm single. And that other church person, don't look around. God, I've waited on you. I've trusted in you. I've consecrated myself. But where is the blessing? It's at that moment that you're tempted 
to go out and make your own way. It's at that moment you're tempted to compromise your convictions and to make a way for your own flesh to have an expression, to fulfill your own needs. How many of you are still with me this morning? Look at verse 15. If I had said, I will thus, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Now, something we have to be careful, something that, that, that arrested Asaph, something that got a hold of him, he realized, hey, wait a minute. I got to think twice before I speak. I've got I've to think twice before I speak. Sometimes we can say very foolish things when we're in affliction. We can say very stupid things. I've been guilty of that. Turn to the person next to you say, if the pastor humbles himself, I need to humble myself and say the same because I've done the same thing. Careless words. Careful what you speak because there are listening ears. Careful what you speak for there are other Christians who are listening. You see, in, in, in the place that Asaph was at, discernment could get low. Perception could be slow. Understanding could be, in dark, can be darkened. We're not seeing clearly. There's where we need to remember the word of God. Proverbs 27, 23, 17, 18. The Bible says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but in the fear of the Lord continue every day, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Do not let your heart envy the world, Hollywood, TV, celebrities, sports, rappers. Don't let your heart envy sinners, but in the fear of the Lord, continue all day long. For surely, for surely, for surely, there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. You see, the reality of this life is things don't always go right when you do what's right. I don't know why. I know we tell people, come to Jesus. God will fix your marriage, fix your home, fix your finances, fix your life. You'll, be li you'll live happily ever after. That's not the truth. I look at the Bible. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, there were people of faith who were sawn in two. People of faith that were eaten by lions. People of faith that were forsaken. People of faith that had nothing, but they died in faith. They had a greater reward than we could even understand. There are people who are godly who will suffer and there'll be no answer. We have a, a, a dear friend from Bible college. She was a faculty member. This woman has suffered physically for years and years and still to this day dialysis two or three times a week, has to travel an hour sometimes or two hours, suffering, pain, unimaginable what she's been, and she's a godly person. I don't understand that. I believe God heals. I believe God still does miracles, but sometimes for his sovereign purpose, we don't fully understand. Then I've seen some people that are ungodly, that they prosper seems that all goes well with them. 
verse 16, and I'm almost finished. He said this. This is critical, and I want to I end with this. When I thought how to understand this, when I thought how to, how to figure it out, how to, how to process this, when I thought how to understand it, it was too painful for me. It was too troublesome, another translation. It was too hard. Wow. You see, as he's processing and reasoning things out, he's trying to figure it out, even to the best of his sanctified imagination, even to the best of his, his thought process, his renewed mind, he says, when I thought about this, it was too painful. You see, there are some things in life that the more you think about them, the worse they'll get. There are some things in life that the more you try to figure them out and reason them out and rationalize them out, the worse they will get. There'll be no logical explanation. There'll be no reasoning through it. You have to move from reason to revelation. You have to move away from your own understanding, even the best of us, our best minds, our best understanding. You have to move from that to revelation and spiritual understanding and insight. What am I trying to say? You have to move beyond reason to revelation. You have to live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not. Lean, lean next to the person and say, lean not. Lean not to your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. What was, what was Asaph having to learn? That, that if the more he thought about I don't know about you, but there's some things, the more I think about it, the more crazy I get. You say, is that the pastor speaking? Let me tell you. It's only by the grace of God that any of us stand, no matter how great we think we are. Because there are some things in life that if you try to figure it out, if you trust in your own understanding, it will jam you up, it'll mess you up in your mind. You won't know how to function. People go crazy trying to say, why, 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 why? There's no answer. Why did they do this? Why are they reacting? Don't they know this? Don't they know that? Let me tell you, we always say, you know, well, there's two sides to a story. Take that to the bank. Don't believe everything, everybody, anybody, don't believe anything everybody says or everything of anybody, what they say. Cover it all. Don't believe it. There's always two sides to a story. They can tell you something about somebody, but believe you me, that person left out some nuance, some shade of it. Oh, my God, I've had people tell me, yes, I did, Pastor. Oh, but they didn't tell me they didn't do it. They had someone else do it because they failed to do it. They passed the buck. Oh, and then people tell, oh, but you don't know what they did. You don't know. Oh, no, 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 no. This didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. They're not two sides to a story. There's not two, there's three. 
There's three. There's your side, there's my side, and there's the correct side. God sees every motive of the heart. God sees what people said they did when they didn't. People said what they said, and they were half-truths. God sees it all. God sees it all. And there are some things that you will think about that situation, that bitterness, that pain. There'll be no clear-cut answer. You have to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. See, if you're not careful, you and I, we can reason ourselves out of our salvation. We can reason ourselves out of ministry. We can reason ourselves out of every, so many healthy and good things in our life. We can reason ourselves out of them because of what's happened. Turn to the person next to you and say, if you don't know what he's talking about, you haven't lived long enough. You see, you need to get a new perspective. And look what he says. When I thought how to understand this, I got a pain in my brain. It was too painful. Verse 17. Until, until I went into the sanctuary, then I understood. Until I went into the sanctuary, then I understood. What was he saying? And this is the, this is the conquest of faith. Come on. The conquest of faith. He got a new perspective when he went in the presence of God. He got a new perspective when he went in the presence of God. He said, until I went into the sanctuary. He said, I was messed up. I was jammed up. I, I, was, I was sending things, misunderstanding things until I went into the sanctuary. What did he mean by that? Is it just going into church? No, it could be that, but it's getting into the presence of God. It's letting the light of the glory of God shine and bring revelation and bring spiritual understanding to our confusion in our life. You see, he got a different perspective. He saw things Totally, totally different. You know what the Bible says? Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. It says, our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts above ours. God's ways are radically different. If you and I try to figure out salvation, figure out ministry, figure out spiritual principles, we will get messed up. First. Corinthians chapter 2 says the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit. He cannot receive them because they're spiritually discerned. Some of you are functioning in a natural mind. You're trying to use your business acumen, bring it into the church. You're trying to use your relational acumen. You're trying to use all these other tools and resources that might be good in and of themselves, but unless they get a spirit baptism, they will mess you up. You can't function in the kingdom of God in your own thoughts. It's the spirit that re receives. They're spiritually communicated. When I get in the, in the presence of God, and sometimes it means weeks and maybe even uh, months of weeping in the presence of God. God, I, I need healing. God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to keep pressing in until I get revelation. I'm going to keep pressing in until I get into the sanctuary, until I get into the Holy of Holies, until I get in that place where the light shines and the glory of God is revealed. 
My first year of Bible college, I've shared this before, but I was just 19 or 20 years old at that point. I'm in Bible college, and it was the second semester. I got so discouraged, I was about to, I was questioning, should I even be in Bible college? What am I doing here? I was contemplating leaving Bible college. And I, I was just struggling. I was just struggling. I was going through this, this test because I had said God is good. Now I got a test to my testimony. I had said God, is, God is, is, is leading me to Bible college, but now I got a test to that testimony. And I remember being so jammed up in my mind. And, I, and you know what I did? I went into the temple. I went into the saying, actually, it was, it was the church that was on the campus. And there was nobody in there. Um, might have been a clean. Matter of fact, my wife, that was one of her duties, right? You clean. You might have been there. And we didn't even know we'd be here. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if I left. What, a, what, what blessings you would have missed out on. And many, many blessings that I missed out on. But I remember going into the sanctuary, and I just began to pray. And I just began to pour my heart out to God. The, the issues were real. The, the, the burden was real. The struggle was real. But I began to pray. And you know what? That's, that old Andre Crouch song came to me. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been many times when I didn't know right from wrong, but in my lonely hour, in my precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was his own. I've been to millions of places. I've seen millions of faces, but it seems that I'm always so alone. But in my lonely hour, in my precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was, was his own. Well, I thank him for the mountains. I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I would never know that God could solve them. To, I never know what faith in his word can do. And it was at that point that I put my trust in God. And it was at that point the Holy Spirit just touched my heart and I, I got revelation, I got understanding, I got the grace that I needed to continue on. And let me tell you, we still, I still need that grace. Sometimes I feel like my, the walls are closing in on me and my mind and my heart and my spirit and I just gotta trust God because sometimes there's no rationalizing it. You need to get revelation. You need to get revelation. The Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees, they reason in their heart against Jesus. Jesus perceived their thoughts. He says, why do you reason? You see, we need revelation this morning. We need to come into the sanctuary of God. It says in Proverbs that the wicked do not understand, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. When you seek God, you begin to understand things. There will be times in your Christian experience when you just will not understand. You won't know what God is doing in your life. You, know, you don't know what the outcome of a certain situation will be. You will feel that God has left you. Then you will wrestle with the nagging questions. Why? How long? How come? When? We have to understand that God has a different timetable. He's got a different perspective. 
I want to read, this is kind of an outdated story, but it, it has a good truth to it. It is reported that some years ago, an editor in a farm magazine wrote an article stating, stating that while he was not particularly a religious man, he did see the wisdom of the biblical command to work for six days and rest on the seventh. Soon after the publication of the article, an irate farmer wrote the editor informing that his article was pure foolishness. To prove this, he pointed out that that very year he had planted his crops on Sunday, cared for them on Sunday, harvested on the, them on Sunday, and he gleefully wrote words. Now here is October already, and I have made more money this year than any of my so-called Christian farmer friends who did not work on Sunday. The editor, upon receiving this letter, published it in the following issue along with his own terse observation with these words. Dear Sir, God does not settle all his accounts in October. This morning, I want you to stand together with me. I want the sons of Asaph to come up, the daughters of Asaph to come up and lead us. Until I went into the sanctuary... Why do I, why do the leaders of this church, why do ministers, people encourage you to praise and worship? Because we believe that that helps to get you into the presence of God. Why do we praise and worship when we don't feel like it? Because we understand that it's not by the reasoning of our mind, but it's by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Why do we spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer? Why do we press in? Because we want to get into that place of where God gives insight. I want to just close, and I just want to read what happened to Asaph. He started out with a confession of faith. Truly, God is good. Went to a conflict of faith. As for me, my feet almost slipped. It went to a complaint. He said, he said it's not worth it. I've cleansed my hands for nothing. It's been in vain. But then he came to that, that, that conquest of faith. Then I went into the... Un when I went into the sanctuary, then I understood. And then you're going to find the next several verses. I won't read them all. He's got revelation now. He says, surely you set them in slippery places. He's talking about the wicked who looks secure. Now he understands. Now he's getting divine revelation. He says, they're brought down to desolation in a moment. And then he goes on to say, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. Whom have I in heaven? There's none but you. My heart and my flesh, they fail, but God is the strength of my life, and he's my portion. The last verse, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I might declare all your works. So he had a full cycle. He, he came back to the place of understanding the goodness of God, but this time it was tried and tested. This time it was a revelation that he held on to and, and dramatically changed him for the rest of his life. This morning, I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to just reach out to God this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that we all go through those moments where it's just too hard to comprehend. It's too painful. It's too difficult. I don't know what your problem is, what your struggle is, but I want you to understand that understanding comes in the presence of God. 
Understanding comes when the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to you in the depth of your being. But this morning, you have to surrender yourself. This morning, you have to lay down your own thoughts and your own understanding and say, God, give me revelation. God, the, the, the situation I'm in is because I've tried to do it. I've tried to figure it out. Now I pray you'd come and deliver me and renew my mind and change me, God. There are some of you today, if you don't get that understanding, you're going to backslide. You're going to turn away from God. There's some of you this morning, you're about to give up on a, a relationship. You're about to give up upon a situation because you're figuring it all out in your mind and you figure, you think you're right and, and you got, you're justified in what you're going to do. No, you need to get into the presence of God this morning. So as the team begins to sing, I want to just take a few moments. We do have a meeting after church for the international service that's very important but I want to take a few moments to get you into the presence of God to help you get in to the sanctuary let's begin to sing let's take a few moments this morning if you're if you're at that place that Asaph was at that that your feet almost slipped you're questioning is it worth living godly is it worth going to church? Is it worth tithing? Is it worth serving in ministry? Is it worth doing the right thing? Because I see other people not doing the right thing and they seem to have it all together. Then you need to be at these altars. Maybe some of you are about to give up on a relationship. You're about to give up on a marriage. You need a divine encounter this morning. You need a touch from God. As the team begins to sing, would you just move out of your seat and we're going to close in five minutes. But I want to take a few moments to just seal this in our hearts. I want to just make a connection with God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. 